All right, folks, we are alive. Oh, there's Jim. It looks like uh, there was maybe, in fact, a red wave in the 2022 midterms, but unfortunately, it wasn't the one that uh, most of us were hoping for. Also, China has been rocked by protests over the CCP's zero COVID policies. And while citizens of China march for freedom, Western elites either ignore what's going on or worse, side with the regime. We're going to be talking about all this and more on episode 374 of the In the Tank podcast. That is right. Welcome to the In the Tank podcast. As always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall. And joining me today, I've got a full crew. I've got Jim Likely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today? Good, sir. And you better unmute your mic there before you say something. That's right. Uh, You almost got got caught there. Yeah. (laughs) I'm doing great, Donnie. You know, it's uh, happy December, everybody. Can't believe 2022 is almost fully in the books. Uh, 2023 is right around the corner, which is also when we're holding our next climate conference in February. So stay tuned for more information about that. Oh, yes, that is right. That is coming around very soon. Also joining us, we have Justin Haskins, who is the director of the Socialism Research Center. How are you doing today, good sir? Uh, I'm doing well. Thanks for getting my uh, my title right. That's, I know. That's really I know. nice it's of you. Pretty, it's, that one's going to be a lot easier to remember. Well, and is it? I don't know. <laughs> Editorial director at the Heartland Institute, Chris Talgo. What's going on, good sir? Well, I do have a announcement to make. Uh, Jim and I had a, a fantasy football duel last week, and uh, I did come out victorious. So I'm sorry, Jim. Oh, sorry snap. about that. But you know, you know, Justin's act. Justin's team is really kicking some major. You know what? Lately, I think Although, Chris is in first place. Right? I am. Are we talking about American football or are we talking about European football? <laughs> American Isn't there something world, the rest of the world. The only football, football that counts. <laughs> Isn't there something yeah. happening right now with those people over there? I don't know. I don't know. Who cares? Know. Nah. Yeah, they're just like playing in a park or something. I saw that the I saw that the uh, the United States. Of course, we're talking about soccer, one of the worst sports. And um, <laughs> I saw um, there's a a, the 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 U.S. national team won against some other country. Iran, not just some and, other country. Oh, great. Yeah. Okay. Fine. So against the Ayatollah's team. <laughs> That's why I call them the Ayatollah's team. That's why I didn't know. So they won one to nothing. Is that the game I'm thinking? I'm, th- I'm yes. pretty sure it was one. Yeah, to yeah it was a high scoring I, game. Right. And I thought to myself, like, one to nothing. Like, that's the best that we can do against oh, the Ayatollah. We could score one freaking goal. That's pathetic. And this is why no one cares because we can barely beat teams like Iran. We scored one goal in three games. That's because all our actual athletes are playing real sports. I know. Well, that was the other thought that I had is, can you imagine how great we would be if all of our greatest athletes, if LeBron James was, you know, goalie, right? Like how good would we be? We would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, So who cares about any of this? It just feels like. I don't know. Like we're watching Justin. Uh, if you train for like two weeks, basketball. you'd be able to be on the U.S. national team. I'm pretty sure. So. <laughs> <laughs> but that's I, that I has, nothing it, but... Do, has nothing to do with the podcast that we're talking. That we're all the topics <laughs> that we're talking about today. And uh, I do want to put that word out there that I do at the beginning of all these podcasts. And if you want to help support the show, you can just by doing a couple of things like hitting the subscribe button, sharing this content hitting that like button, or even just leaving a comment under the video, all things that will cost you no more than just a moment of your time, but helps break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people. And also a little bit of a housekeeping note that I should mention, Uh, starting next year, the In the Tank podcast is going to have a new home. We are going to be moving the show to Stopping Socialism TV. It's the same, uh, you know, you'll be able to see the show in the same way that you've ever been able to see it and uh, except for instead of going to the heartland 
Institute page. You have to go to Stopping Socialism TV page on YouTube. It's a channel that Justin and I have been growing for some time now, and we're hoping to transplant our awesome community that we have established here and integrate it into our community that we have going on over there. So it's going to be a, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're taking all of December to basically transition it over there. Maybe we're going to simulcast it for a couple of uh, weeks or something like that. And constant reminders to make sure that uh, if you still want to watch the show, all you have to do is go over to stoppingsocialism.com. I would hope that everyone that's listening to this is already a subscriber to that channel uh, but that is going to be the plan. Uh, it's going to open up the opportunity for us to play with a bunch of different uh, uh, fan interaction type things that we don't have the ability to do on this channel because YouTube refuses to verify our channel or monetize it. I think that what it is monetize. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be I'm gonna constant reminders from every episode from here until then. Uh, but just an FYI, in case you want to get a jump on that and subscribe ahead of time to Stopping Socialism TV, where Justin and I do routinely put up great content. I, uh, I, have, a, Jim, I have a question, Donnie. I was going to say, uh, feel free to comment on any of this, Jim. No, I have a question. It's a question. How, how angry is Justin going to be when I say something that gets that channel blown up by uh, by Google YouTube? It's <laughs> a good point. It's yeah. a good point. Uh, it's, it's how not, mad I'm is he going to be? I'm not going to be that angry because one of the deals, one of the agreements we had when we set this all up, you just didn't read the fine print was that we're going to put one of those. We're going to install a new chair in your office so that whenever you say something, it's going to be like, you know, I push the button like Dr. Evil. And then you just go flying down (laughs) some shoot into flames. (laughs) That's what's going to happen. So we've got it all set up. It's all worked out. You start talking about COVID. We just hit that button. You're gone. You're dead. I had something in mind like what they did to Creed on The Office when uh, they set up his blog. You know, he was really just typing into a Microsoft <laughs> Word program and he always thought he was blogging to the world. So you guys are going to do a fake show. Yeah. Uh, the show's the really the really the show's going to be on Fridays and I'm not going to do any better. You guys are going to do a fake show to nobody on Thursdays for me. So, uh, you know, I'm just giving you that options would, for how to deal with me when, 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 I, when I start burning everything down. Yeah, that's that's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea. Maybe we will go with that. Let's put that in the just, idea box. Donnie. Yeah, just a built-in mute where it's like, oh yeah, great point, Jim. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, like I said, we'll we'll have constant reminders between now and then. But it is an idea that uh, we we've decided on recently. So we're gonna get to that. So before we talk about the communists of China, let's spend a little bit of time talking about the socialists in America. So for the past three elections. We've released a report, uh, a report where we analyze the candidates running for office that have explicit endorsements from various socialist groups like the Democratic Socialists of America. Uh, and we see how they fared in their elections. We call this report Socialist Watch. And we just recently released Socialist Watch 2022. So, Justin, as the originator of this report, why don't you uh, why don't you take us through like the intentions of this report, what you're kind of going for when you first created this thing? Yeah, so we started doing this back in I want to say 2018 was the first time that we did it. Um, So this would be the third election that we've done this. And the idea was, uh, you know, 2018 was in AOC time period, right? And socialism was becoming really politically popular, not just something that was growing amongst students and, you know, young people and stuff like that. They were actually, yeah, well, obviously, Uh, but um, it was becoming more popular with politicians who were actually identifying and marketing themselves as socialists. Really, for the first time, we started seeing this on a wide scale, other than with Bernie Sanders and people like that. So what we wanted to do was figure out, okay. How, how successful are these candidates and what does this tell us about uh, the political landscape in America? And so we started tracking socialist candidates uh, beginning in 2018 with the 2018 election. And we've done it every election since. So every two years we've done it. Um, and what we found in the initial election compared to this one, which is kind of interesting, is that socialist candidates in that 2018 election were, were not very successful. Uh, I believe it was only like 39 or 40%. I don't have mm. the numbers in front of me, uh, won their races. Uh, but in 2020, we saw a completely different, uh, we saw a, a turnaround for their fortunes. All right. Basically 
we went from having about a 39, 35 to 40% success rate for socialist candidates to having a 90% success rate for socialist candidates in 2020 election. Mm -hmm. And then when we just did it in the most recent 22, uh, we found the same thing, 91% success rate for candidates. So um, we tracked it. This isn't just congressional races. We did track congressional races, but we also tracked state legislative races and some statewide races as well. Most of the socialist candidates are still running for uh, state legislative seats. So that's where you're going to see most of it. But in the report, which I'm sure will be linked in the show notes, people will be able to actually go in and see all of the candidates um, that we tracked all the different races. They can see if there were any socialist candidates in their state. Um, our list had 132 elections, I think in 26 states. Um, and the way we chose socialists, so how do we know that someone is a socialist and not just a liberal or something? Uh, the way we did it was based on endorsements that they received from big socialist groups. So if the Democratic Socialists of America are endorsing you, then we we track you as a socialist. Uh, Our Revolution was another group. Um, that's the group that formed out of the Bernie Sanders failed presidential campaign. Um, that's another group. If they endorse you, then we count you as a socialist. We also, you know, take a look at what very we, we do sort of a sampling of what various candidates believe and to make sure that this is all lining up and it and it and it does you know if you support single player healthcare green new deal things like that we classified you as a socialist so 90 something percent success rate uh really incredible and obviously disturbing mm -hmm. but um We've got theories as to why that is. I don't know if Chris wants to jump in on that or if you want yeah, to talk yeah, let, about that, Donnie. But let, no, yeah, let's let's go to Chris because uh, I, I I I'm kind of curious about what your takeaway is from this. I mean, you could see the results. Uh, you know, all the little green one obviously signifies that they won the election. You see very little red lost markers on this little chart that we're showing here. Um, and and yeah, north of ninety percent. So, Chris, what do these results say to you? Uh, so first of all, I think, you know, two things really stood out to me. Uh, first of all, most of these uh, socialist candidates seem to uh, run in very uh, certain parts of the country, uh, mostly in California and, the, you know, the Northeast Coast, uh, a lot from uh, Connecticut, a lot from uh, Vermont, a lot from those uh, Northeastern states. So I think this is not representative of the entire country at all. But uh, another thing that I uh, thought really stood out to me was, the Democratic Party in general seems to be moving much more to the left because a lot of these candidates have uh, overtaken uh, more centrist Democratic candidates. But we mm -hmm. do not we do not have the same thing happening on the right. And what I mean by that is we do not have ultra conservative candidates who are uh, calling for, uh, you know, major entitlement reforms and, you know, going back to, uh, you know, an originalist court and and stuff like that. So it seems like the trajectory of the Democratic Party seems to be going extremely leftward. And like Justin said, a lot of these races occurred at the uh, statewide level, which means that in the uh, years to come, many of those candidates will then move on to uh, uh, federal uh, you know, offices in one form or the other. So I think this is really building a foundation within the Democratic Party that the uh, very far left progressive socialist uh, wing of the party is really uh, you know, taking over the party and we do not have the uh, same thing happening on, on in the uh, Republican Party. So I think this is really just, you know, a one dimensional aspect of the Democratic Party really moving leftward. And this is probably going to have repercussions for elections to come uh, for many, many years. Yeah, I forget where I heard it, but I heard that uh, somebody referring to this is is the like the socialists basically trying to create a robust bullpen where they start with like these lower uh, these lower races and they get their their uh, preferred candidates in these lower races so that eventually they can move up the political ladder and start taking up uh, more national level offices or something like that. And, and maybe striving to be the next Ocasio-Cortez or something like that. So, Jim, what do you think when you're when you're looking at all these different results? What comes to mind for you? Yeah, I mean, pretty much the same thing that uh, that Chris had just articulated, and it's that the Democratic Party is much farther to the left than the Republican Party is to the right. 
I mean, uh, if Bill Clinton, if his agenda from 1992 was ever presented to the vote, the Democrat voters today as a presidential candidate, he wouldn't he'd, he'd have performed worse than Kamala Harris did. And she didn't even get to Iowa. I mean, it's borderline MAGA. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, as you said, the, if you look as Andy's scrolling through it here on the screen, uh, you can see how many of these uh, socialists and socialist endorsed uh, candidates have been successful in state legislatures and uh you know as pointed out earlier that's kind of the uh the triple a uh, before you right. get to the big leagues of of being in the house of representatives or or a united states senator uh, i mean just look at you know bernie sanders is a is a senator he's you know the senior senator from vermont i think now because uh, Leahy is retiring and uh he's he's run for president what twice going to be three times he's beloved by his party he's a very powerful person who has to be dealt with one way or another, whether uh, whether he gets a nomination or not, uh, the 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 Democrat Party is now a very much hard left party, uh, and the and the Republicans. I mean, look who who's in leadership in the Republican House right now. They're they're squishes. They're they're not. Mitch McConnell is not interested in pushing forward a conservative agenda. He's not interested in reducing the size of government. Uh, and we have to remember, uh, love him or hate him, Donald Trump in his first year. He barely got any cooperation from his own party in Congress, even when they had control of the entire uh, they had more control over over Congress then than the Democrats did for the first year of Biden. And the Democrats always fall in line, bend over backwards and do whatever it takes to advance the leftist agenda. They will even lose future elections for it. And uh, why do they do that? Because they are a hard left party and they get rewarded for it because they get their uh, they get their agenda passed. Uh, so the Republicans, you know, it's 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 you know, it, it's it's they're not dedicated enough to fight against this this sort of thing. And I think one thing when you go to heartland.org and you can download this report for yourself, I don't know if we did this analysis in there, but you could actually do the math yourself. It'd be really interesting to see by percentage of elected officials, which state legislature is the hmm. most socialist. <laughs> I would right. guess it would probably be Massachusetts or New York. Or California, but uh, you know, you're going to see that some of these blue states are not just blue, but they're actually communist red. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, you you compare this to triple A ball, and I think the results are going to inevitably lead me to AA. Hmm. Crickets. The crickets hmm. enjoyed that hmm. one. Yeah, stick to uh, finger so guns. Just, Justin, I think uh, my takeaway from this was uh, <laughs> my takeaway from this was that I think that this is a result. This is an effect of red areas in the country getting more red. We talked about this before, and blue areas of the country getting more blue. And these deeper blue areas is what is allowing candidates like this to be able to be electable. This is not some uh, result of moderation at all. It's the complete opposite of that. And uh, I think that as we as we continue this trend and we see these red areas getting more red and these blue areas getting more red, we're going to see more uh, success of these socialist endorsed candidates. Uh, what, what do you have to say about any of these comments so far? Yeah, so um, a couple of things. Uh, for, for, first of all, I, I think I think Jim is right that I think Jim and Chris are right that really the main takeaway from this or the most important takeaway from this whole report is that the popularity of socialism within the democratic party has has increasingly become more reflected in the candidates politically and um uh, i think there was a time when there was the the base in the party was really hardcore left but the politicians were not necessarily as left as the base was and now the base is moving more to the left uh, I mean, uh, the uh, the po politicians are moving more to the left. And the way that that's occurring is, and it's reflected in this report, is socialist, more activist part of the party is targeting seats where they know all they have to do is win the primary and they yeah. automatically win the right. election, general election. And so they're targeting those seats and winning the primaries because they've got the more active base and then they automatically win the general election. And that's why you're seeing a 90 something percent success rate. It's not because America it loves socialism. The polls that we've done actually show America isn't really too happy with socialist ideas. The truth is uh, that that um, deep blue seats, though, are willing to adopt socialism. And so the Democratic Party is becoming increasingly more radicalized. And yes, Bernie Sanders is, even though Bernie Sanders is actually technically not a Democrat, he's an independent. He, you know, almost became the Democrat Party's uh, presidential nominee twice, despite mm -hmm. that. And so 
And, and you could argue if they hadn't changed the rules, uh, he probably would have been the, the candidate's party um, uh, or the party's candidate. So really, I think fundamentally uh, what this shows is it's, it's proof that the, that the that socialists are becoming politically more attuned. They're becoming smarter. They're learning about how to get candidates into yeah. office. <laughs> Not and about economics or anything, about no, politics. No, right. polit politically, <laughs> they're becoming savvier. <laughs> and and as a result of that, they are getting the, the party and and uh, legislatures and Congress, because there were 50 something uh, Congress uh, people who are in this analysis as well, who mo the vast majority of them won their races. So, I mean, Congress is becoming uh, more socialistic. Uh, state legislatures are becoming more socialistic. And the Democratic Party as a whole is becoming more socialistic. And I would say that that's probably somewhat aligned with what's going on on the right, too, because I do think that the Republican Party has become more conservative over time as well. Not not radically so. It's not like you have, uh, you know, libertarian anarchists that are winning seats. You don't have that. But you do have more conservatives in the Republican Party uh holding office than yeah, you had in 2000 a, or something let's do a libertarian watch too and see uh you know, the success well, lib rate of all the libertarian it, endorsed you know, candidates what's are. really what's really interesting about that is that um libertarians really are the sort of anti-socialist right so sure. if you were going to do a comparison left-right comparison you should look at libertarians but libertarians as a group politically have taken the total opposite approach of what socialists have done and instead of trying to win seats within the Republican Party, they've kept themselves out of the Republican Party and mm. just ran against them and tried to be spoilers. And that is the opposite of what socialists are doing, where they're actually going into these deep blue state seats and they're saying, we're going to be the Democrat Party nominee in this place and win the race. That's not what libertarians are doing. Libertarians are saying, you know what? I don't even want to be part of the Republican Party. I'm just going to get 5% of the vote and and uh, spoil things for people. That's basically sure. what they've done. So it's a really strange thing. It's, it's, they're both in the similar situations, but they've taken completely different political paths. And as a result of it, mm. libertarians are not politically as powerful as socialists have become. Mm. And I think that really tells you something. Yeah, no, that's a... No, go ahead, Chris. I want I want to give you kind of last words on this before we move on to our main topic. Yeah, I also think this is an indictment of the media, the ac academia, Hollywood, and all these other super powerful institutions that have become uh, pro socialism. And twenty years ago, even ten years ago, the media, academia, um, Hollywood, they were not pro socialists, but today they are. And one of the things that uh, really stood out to me was. In the 2022 midterm election, we had a humongous turnout among young voters. Young voters usually do not turn out for midterm elections, but they did this time. And guess what? They voted overwhelmingly for these socialist candidates. So to me, this is, uh, you know, not a good harbinger of things to come. If if we are uh, teaching an entire generation that socialism is good and that socialism in the United States is going to be a great thing as long as, you know, they uh, keep electing socialists who are going to implement their agenda. Just two, the, two quick oh, things. Jim, Jim wants the last word. Go ahead. It's two fine. quick things. It includes a segue. One, Justin, you could write the uh, Libertarian Watch 2022 report uh, on a cocktail napkin. Uh, you wouldn't <laughs> even need Donnie to even lay it out. And two, uh, you know, being as Chris just pointed out, being a socialist, used to be a dangerous thing. You had no political career if somebody called you a socialist. Back in the Cold War, as the old man on this podcast, you know, we had the Soviet Union out there. We had a, a commie enemy that we were all united against defeating in the Cold War. Um, we have one of those now in China, which is a communist country, but the academia has taught an entire generation or two to uh, embrace socialism. And uh, that's why, as we're going to see in some clips today, we have some of the leading uh, leaders in the world, in government and in these NGOs and other powerful positions, not just making excuses for China, but actively showing admiration for the uh, for for the for their brutality and their their crushing of freedom. And and we have two generations in America that uh, pretty much think the same thing. And I've seen this up close and personal in high schools, both in Illinois and in South Carolina, where world history and even uh, modern world history and U.S. history, the teachers are actually saying 
that capitalism is bad and that socialism is good. Mm-hmm. And they are flat out saying it. And that just to, to me is just so, you know, counterproductive. And it's just such a, a difference of even when I was in high school in the, you know, mid nineties. Yep. 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 All things that, uh, I think, I think that, that, that like takeaway, uh, the biggest takeaway I have from this discussion is, is what Justin said. It's almost like, like our side should look at this and try to replicate it in some way to, to push forward candidates that are going to actually like do the things that we want them to do, because it seems like the socialists have found a, a pretty interesting strategy here, but, uh, but let's talk about our main topic at hand here. Let's talk about China. And uh, we basically, we typically don't talk about China too much on this podcast, and not really for any good reason. It's mostly because I don't consider myself anywhere close to being well-versed on the topic. Crazy stuff goes on there all the time. But unless we have like an expert guest to come on and talk about it, I kind of feel out of depth when discussing the subject. So that's kind of why we don't talk about it like on a weekly basis where we could. But Chris and I were talking about the protests earlier this week, and it's just too crazy and too potentially historic to not talk about. Um, also, there's a lot of connections to stories we do cover significantly. So we decided, yeah, yeah, maybe we should talk about this. Um, so let's start off with the obvious stuff first. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party is a brutal authoritarian government that does awful, corrupt, underhanded things all the time. Their track record for human rights abuses are on par with the worst regimes throughout history. We've talked about the surveillance state of China. We've talked about uh, authoritarian crackdowns. We've talked about slave camps that they have that house Uyghur Muslims to the tune of an estimated millions of people. We've talked about how these slaves are used for labor, even to make products for American companies or making solar panels that Democrats love so much. We've also talked about how early in the COVID days, that they were tearing up roads to slow the spread of COVID. They were literally welding people into their homes to prevent infected people from leaving and infected others, you know, for the greater good, for the for the health of the collective, right? Well, China has pursued what they call a zero COVID policy, where if one case of COVID is detected, they initiate brutal lockdown procedures. Citizens are whisked away to voluntary COVID camps where they have to live there until they are let out by the government. In these camps, the voluntary prisoners are not allowed to leave their quarters. And if they do, they are threatened with imprisonment. Oh, wait. Wait, sorry. That's Australia. Hang on. Let me uh, let me get my right notes here. (laughs) All right. Here we are in China. They also do have COVID camps. And in fact, it's very much like the Australian zero uh, COVID policies. However, China goes even further than what you might imagine. In China, the health authorities um, have continued their practice of welding people into their homes. In fact, there's a video of it right now if you're watching the video version of this. And in recent events, an apartment building caught fire in Xinjiang. uh, But because of the building being welded shut, uh, people couldn't escape. And the fire rescue couldn't get into the building until the doors were opened. So there's reports coming out that uh, there were 10 people killed in this apartment fire that I'm referring to and many more injured. Surely the, the real numbers are probably much higher than 10 people being killed. But, uh, you know. We just have to go by the information that's given to us. So that was the event that sparked off um, some of the largest and most widespread protests the country has ever seen since the Tiananmen Square in what was at the late 80s. So, Chris, uh, before I go any further, do you want to chime in on any of what I've covered so far? I think you did a really good job of summarizing, uh, you know, the past couple of weeks and what's been happening there. But I find the timing of this also very uh, interesting because Xi Jinping just held uh, the third party Congress and he basically declared himself dictator for life. And uh, in anticipation of that is when a lot of these very, very uh, strict lockdowns uh, started you know, to be rolled out in China. And a lot of the protesters are not protesting just zero covid. They're just they are actually protesting Xi Jinping. Uh, telling uh, telling uh, him to step down and uh, invoking uh, the right for uh, free speech. So I think that the mainstream media is trying to kind of like spin this as, oh, this is all about zero COVID policy. And the Chinese people just want to be able to you know go about their business as usual. But I think that this is you know, far greater than that. I think that the Chinese people are sick and tired of living in a uh, surveillance state. They're sick and living in a police state and they're sick and tired of living in a uh, authoritarian uh, communist society in which they have no rights and they just have to do whatever the party tells them to do. 
Yeah, and I do want to I want to make mention that uh, you know while the apartment fire is is being cited as the thing that kind of set off these protests, the anger and uh, anti-government sentiment and all of that has been brewing for a while, and this mm-hmm. was just the thing that kind of had it boil over. So it's not like this was the the sole reason for these protests. It was just the thing that kind of sparked it off. Um, before I take another angle on all of this, Justin, do you have any just kind of uh, uh, thoughts on what we've talked about so far? No, I think you guys, I think you guys covered it. I mean, we, <laughs> what, what's going on in China is uh, incredibly disturbing. And, you know, I, I, I think it's further proof that the media doesn't, doesn't really care about human rights. Doesn't really care about, uh, all of the things that they claim that their bleeding hearts care about, because if they did, they'd be covering this story nonstop every single day, constantly. And they're not. And I think that, I think China is sort of a litmus test for people to show what they actually believe. And when it comes to the media, when it comes to ESG, you know, overlords and big corporations and big banks and all the institutions of the world, really United Nations, et cetera. I think they show their true colors with the way that they treat these situations that have been going on in China. So, um, you know, other than that, I, I think you guys covered it pretty well. Yeah, I mean, some of the videos that uh, that we're playing here, um, the the like health authorities or the, the police that are cracking down on all of this, you could see that they're wearing these like white uh, COVID outfits. And, you know, for me, that's a big Star Wars fan. I'm just yeah. like, could, are they just like trying to look like stormtroopers? Like, is that what they're going for? Rem- <laughs> remember when uh, remember when we were doing research for uh, one of the books? I can't remember which one it was. But what was that? What was the name of the surveillance system? The national surveillance system. That oh yeah, they had? oh yeah. One of the surveillance things that they they have in place, all the cameras and whatever, is under a program called Skynet. Skynet, <laughs> it's literally right. pulled, literally pulled from Terminator. So, right. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe they do get that. Maybe whoever, remember, maybe the guy who's like in charge of coming up with these things. Maybe he's just like a big Hollywood fan. You know, he just likes watching movies. And so he throws Xi, in these references. Xi Jinping is going to come and do some national announcement. He's going to wear a Darth Vader mask with some breathing apparatus <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Uh, Jim, any, any initial thoughts on, on this topic? Well, I, I'm looking forward to get to the, the other clips we have because uh, there's a lot to say about that. Uh, but I agree with Justin. I mean, it's it's shameful and, and it's there's such sadness in my countenance and in my voice over the fact that uh, this Biden administration was asked flat out, uh, you know, what, do you have anything to say about these these Chinese people who are yearning for freedom, who are risking their lives and li- and, and those of their families uh, to demand freedom from the brutal communist Chinese government? And they said, well, we have nothing to say about that. Good luck to them. Uh, for the and and some of these people you know, be really brave are holding American flags. You don't see a lot of it, but you see them holding American flags. And what I think is an awesome way to protest is that they hold up blank pieces of paper. Uh, <laughs> it's like basically fill in your own your own protest here, and yeah. it's actually a way to say this: we're protesting the fact that we can't speak our minds. And so exactly. they hold up a blank piece of paper. That's brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant. And our government is basically because, uh, well, Joe Biden has some connections to China. His son wrote on Air Force Two to do business deals in China. And this president pretends that that was either one normal or two didn't happen or three. I don't know anything about it. I never talked to him about these sorts of things. Uh, And so this is not being reported by our media. Uh, I am old enough to remember one of our uh, commenters here on YouTube said that she was 10 when the Tiananmen Square uh, protests happened. That was in 1989. Uh, I was I was 19, so I was older, and I remember it very well. And it was covered nonstop on CNN. It was covered by our nightly news all the time. It was a huge event. And, of course, it was crushed, uh, ultimately, by the, uh, by the Chinese Communist uh, government and the army. And uh, there's a picture on the screen right now of what, you know, what they called Tank Man. Uh, mm-hmm. He disappeared. Uh, he was not run over by those tanks. Uh, he he ran off. Um, and I remember an investigation a few years ago about they were trying to track down well, whatever happened to Tank Man and nobody could find him. But there were lots of rumors that the government found him and they uh, they, tor- they put him in prison and they tortured him and he's dead. 
So uh, the fact that our, our media is just so unserious and they are actually running cover and our industry in this country is running uh, is running cover for China because, um, to be honest, the billionaires around the world, the global elite make a lot of money in China. And because of the way China's system is set up, they actually make money because their people are so oppressed. Yeah, yeah it's. It's uh, it's it's absolutely crazy. Uh, like I mentioned, the protests were massive. I saw some articles suggesting, uh, you know, like like I said, <clears throat> the biggest protests in decades. Uh, I saw some suggesting that the the rampant discontent in the country was putting pressure on President Xi Jinping to step down for a day or two. It really looked like China was like on the verge of full blown revolution. But authoritarian governments are really good at uh, at least one thing, and that one thing is cracking down on protests. And China is can potentially claim the gold medal on that front. So we already kind of mentioned a little bit of uh, China's surveillance state. It's second to none. The sheer amount of state-run cameras and sensors, facial recognition software, you name it. Uh, their embrace of, of big data and all of that to, to crack down on specifically who is protesting. Is seriously, uh, I don't think... I don't think any country uh, can compare to that. Um, and our viewers are probably likely aware of the social credit system that's uh, in place in many parts of China that track how good of a citizen you're being. Uh, police were brought in to clash with protesters, arresting many. Even the military and some tanks were brought out in certain cases. Uh, but now the, the, the protests have subsided a bit. But that's where the Chinese Communist Party really starts to work their magic. So there have been a lot of stories about the CCP tracking down protesters and the and the ringleaders of the protests in, in the days since the movements. They use tips from party loyalists. Um, they use big data from the different you know phones and GPS and all of this stuff. They they track as much data as they could possibly do to see out who was there, who was leading all of this, and where they are now. Authorities have been reported methodically going through public transportation, trains and whatnot, and checking everybody's phones, looking for banned communication apps, deleting pictures of the protests if they seem to be um, you know, not friendly to the regime. And the Chinese Communist Party is not in the business of appeasing the outraged population. Absolutely not. They are in the business of punishing the outraged population so that they don't ever think of doing something like this again. That's what the that's what the the, the Chinese uh, Communist Party is all about. So, uh, Chris, any any thoughts on that? I mean, the, the, the crackdowns since the protests is like a whole nother story uh, component to all of this. Yeah, you know, ever since China liberalized its economy, you know, a few years ago, uh, they have tried to, you know, walk this very tight, you know, tight rope of, okay, you can have, you know, capitalist uh, economy, but you're still going to live under a repressive uh, communist, uh, you know, dictatorship. I think that the, you know, the, the strings are starting to unravel on that. And I think that the people in China are starting to wake up and say, hey, wait a second, not only do we want to, you know, be able to live in a free market economy, but we also just want general freedom. So, you know, it, it, it's very interesting because the same uh, sort of thing happened in the Soviet Union when they uh, introduced uh, perestroika and glass nose. They thought to themselves, OK, well, if we, you know, they, they knew that the people could not live in almost abject poverty any longer. So they, you know, they they tried to, you know, thread the needle there between saying, OK, fine, you can have some, you know, freedom in terms of a free market you know, economy. But we are not going to allow any sort of freedom in terms of uh, personal freedom. And I think that in China, that is starting to backfire on them. And I think that they are in a they're really backed into a corner. And I think that they are going to uh, probably use very draconian measures to keep their population under, you know, under their control. And I think this is probably going to get worse before it uh, gets better. Yeah, you know what? That is a perfect uh, that is a perfect segue into uh, the clip that we have titled Santa Claus, uh, where Klaus Schwab is talking about how China represents a model for other developing con uh, countries to to strive for. And you're talking about the free market reforms that started in like the <clears throat> mid to late 90s for China, where mm -hmm. they allowed certain free market principles, a limited amounts of uh, uh private ownership of uh, property ownership and all of that, but they still retain an iron grip uh, that, that will punish uh, companies that don't do exactly what they want uh, and reward other ones that do do what they want. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, let, let's play a little bit of Klaus Schwab. This is an interview with him um, with a, 
uh, on a government-controlled media outlet in China where he's being asked about uh, how China can be incorporated into Klaus Schwab's worldview. So let's go ahead and play that clip. From your perspective, how do you understand this ambition of China to have the Chinese path toward modernization and share it uh, with the developing world? I uh, respect uh, China's achievements, which are tremendous over the last uh, over 40 years since the opening up and uh, policy and reform policy came into action. I think it's um, a role model for many countries, hmm. but I think also uh, we should leave it to each country uh, to make its own decision what system it wants to adapt. And I think we should be very careful in imposing systems. But the Chinese model is certainly a very attractive model for quite a number of countries. Yeah, he says it's a quite of an attractive model because it's uh, basically what the whole ESG and Great Reset is striving to be. But uh, just well, any, any... just real quick, Danny, he also failed to mention that the entire reason why China's becoming you know, an economic powerhouse is because they've stolen America's technology for the past twenty years. That is, you know, that is a very important point that must be stressed. Yeah, no doubt. Justin, comments on that? Yeah, I mean, look, I I think that. Uh, Klaus Schwab is really, in many ways, a gift. He's he's a gift, and and the reason he's a gift is not only because you know he's provided us with years and years of content for you and I, uh, but he's also he's also a gift because, unlike so many politicians in America who don't really tell you what they think about things and they hide it behind all this masked language, and you have to actually look at their policies and look at their behavior and figure it out um, and, and then convey that to people you know in a country where the media is actively telling you a completely different story it's much more complicated Klaus Schwab just comes right out and says things that are you know crazy to us but what he really believes and and is a reflection of so many of the people who surround him uh, and one of the things that Klaus Schwab has made very clear is that China is a model. It's a role model for a lot of different countries. And the China model is very attractive to a lot of people. And it is. And those people are all dictators and tyrants and murderers. Those are the people that find it really attractive. People who actually believe in individual rights, who care about humanity and don't want authoritarianism, do not find the China model an attractive model. It's not possible. Because it's, it's, it's just... I mean, this would be like saying it would be like it really would. I know this is this sounds kind of extreme in a way, but it's really not. It would be like saying, you know, a lot of people find the Nazi model as an attractive model. That's attractive to a lot of people, you know, and I don't want to impose on anyone, you know, who likes Nazism. I don't want to tell any country that's, you know, mass murdering Jews that they shouldn't mass murder Jews because, you know, every to each his own. Right. Like, that's basically what he's saying here. Right. I mean, this is a country that has a, a, over a million Uyghurs in, a con in concentration camps. This is a country that executes people for, for having basic drug possession. This is a hmm. country that doesn't allow you to see things or say things on the internet that censors almost everything, that tracks almost everyone in its country, that is a human rights violator. And has been for decades and decades and decades. And when given an opportunity to even just slightly criticize them, he can't bring himself to do it. Instead, he, he heaps praise on them. And uh, I don't think Klaus Schwab, if he could do anything, if he was dictator of the world, would have a model that's just like China. He probably wouldn't be quite as authoritarian. But that's what the Great Reset is trying to be. That's what ESG is all about. It's about figuring out a westernized way to do what China does in a much more in a more bloody, violent sort of way. But the idea is the same, right? We're trying to think of the collective first, create a world that's sort of a top-down world where the educated elites of society make decisions for everybody else. I mean, that's what Klaus Schwab wants. And that's why he's not being critical of them. So 
the big the biggest takeaway from this and it's really important for people to understand this is that what klaus schwab proves beyond any doubt and remember klaus schwab is closely associated with joe biden closely associated with john Kerry, who works with the world economic forum all the time the state department of the united states of america officially has a a program in place a partnership in place with the world economic forum okay mm -hmm. so this is not some th these are tightly combined things these people are working closely together on all kinds of great reset related programs and initiatives globally especially related to climate change what this shows is that all of the stuff that they say about making people's lives better and putting people first and saving the planet and all of that is garbage it's garbage <laughs> it's not real if they actually believed any of those things, the first thing they would do is criticize China at every opportunity they get because China well, is doing more and worse things on all of those areas than anyone in America ever possibly could. And they have nothing critical to say about them. Instead, they heap praise on them at every at, at, at every opportunity. Well, I, I want to jump into, um, you know, like because. We could talk about what Western governments can do, what government officials can do, and I don't, I don't know, you know, what exactly they can do. Um, you know, do, do I expect them to heap billions of dollars uh, to the to support the Chinese citizens? I mean, probably not. What are they, Ukraine or something? But as far <laughs> as I'm aware, the Biden administration has. <laughs> oh, I got some laughs there. Uh, as far as I'm aware, the Biden administration hasn't done anything to support the Chinese citizens in any way. At a press conference, the press secretary, when asked about the protests, said that Biden was keeping an eye on the situation. Oh, great. That's going to keep Xi Jinping shaking in his boots when he cracks down on these protesters. And a bit of dark irony, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau made a statement about how the citizens of China should be able to protest. And I saw this statement uh, in a video juxtaposed against videos of Canadian police officers cracking down on Canadian protesters over COVID. So, again, a little bit of irony there. But uh, I, I'm not entirely sure, like, what they can do. I don't suppose that they're going to, like, go to war with China, initiate some regime change or anything. I'm not advocating for anything like that. But what is crazy is that there are Western actors that do have an ability to do something that are not uh, only choosing not to do anything, but in some cases choosing to help the Chinese Communist Party. So in the weeks before the protests erupted, um, but during the, the, the latest string of crackdowns, uh, Apple decided that it was going to alter the airdrop function of their iPhones, specifically in China. So now, instead of iPhone users being able to share images or information with anybody that's in their, you know, in their area at any time, an ability that helps coordinate protests and stuff like that, this function on, on their phones has been um, only to temporarily, it's been altered to only temporarily uh, be available to, um, to, to, to share things. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it has to be manually restarted every 10 minutes. So this, this whole ability that was uh, uh, allowed on the iPhone to share information and everything like that uh, has been severely stunted. And to think that this there's any other explanation for this other than Apple doing a favor for the Communist Party of China uh, is absolutely insane. So, Jim, I know that you've been chomping at the bit to talk about this specifically. So take a swing. Go ahead. Yeah, it, it's yeah. Tim, Tim Cook is a disgusting human being, uh, and he is doing the bidding of the the uh, his Chinese masters. And the only question is whether he volunteered to do it and offered this as a great suggestion as a way to suppress uh, the the protests in China, the protests for freedom in China, or whether China asked him and he jumped up and said, "Oh, I have just the thing. I just the thing. We can we can snip this in the bud." And to have this option, AirDrop is fantastic. And the, the important thing about and why the protesters were using AirDrop instead of the internet is that the Chinese government could not get in there and stop it themselves because it's peer to peer. You would just basically use your Bluetooth connection to another device. I do it all the time. I have a lot of Mac products. I'm feeling kind of shamed about it right now, but <laughs> it's, it's, you know, you can use it and it's, it's outside of, of any other network. It's just a personal peer to peer network and you can drop all sorts of files to each other just like that. It's, it's no big deal. And this is like Tim Cook and Apple ripping the placards out of the hands of the protesters right there on the street. Right. It'd be like taking, it would be like they were running through the streets, ripping up all of the pamphlets and taking them away from people and burning them. That's what this is. 
This is disgusting that an American company would do something like this to do this bidding. And for only China, it's like, oh, and I think their statement was something like, uh, you know, well, you know, we, we needed to do an update to the to the phone. And, you know, is, is this is just for safety and all that stuff. It is gross. And the fact that this is not a big story from our media, that an American company is doing the <clears throat> bidding of a foreign communist Chinese government that is the biggest rival on the world stage to the United States, states, which is enslaved right now, enslaved labor, millions of people in their own country. This would be like, again, this, I, this would be just like doing it for the Nazis. Exactly like an American company doing the bidding of Adolf Hitler. There is no difference in this. And the fact that Apple can sit there and we're going to play these clips because I got them and I just I, oh, they feel free to set it up. Me. Go ahead. I'll you set can, it you up. Can, yeah, do it. So, so Tim, Tim Cook is a disgusting human being. We're going to play two clips. One is a clip from 2017 in which he praises China for all the good it's doing in the world. It makes me sick. And then there's a second clip right after that from 2021 where he basically says the same thing. And he says these things because he and his investors and, and the billionaires around the world and a lot of people here in this country are getting filthy, stinking rich on the back and the sweat and the blood of slave labor in China. And they will do absolutely everything necessary to make sure that money stop, never stops flowing. Play clip uh, Tim Cook 2017, please, Andy. Um, China's done an unbelievable job of lifting people out of poverty. They've done an incredible job, I mean, far beyond uh, what any country has done. We were talking about 19, mid-90s to today. The biggest change is the number of people that have been pulled out of poverty by far. And we should all applaud that. And in, we should all feel good about it. And so there are, in, in the environmental leadership today is very clear, and it aligns completely with Apple's values. The, the Chinese uh, uh, the Ch environmental leadership, yes, the government. Yes, mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're very fixated on, on uh, doing the right things to avert climate change. And this is something that means a lot to us as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. And so what, what we always try to do is find the areas where you can work together, find the areas of commonality, and then the things that you disagree with, take time to understand how somebody sees it. Yeah. And if I'm going to get criticized for that, then so be it. Well, so be it. How brave of him. How brave yeah. of him. Yeah, I wonder, I, wonder if, I wonder if he had... Uh, so I guess Parler, they're worse than the Chinese Communist Party because it seems to me that... Apple wasn't a too wasn't a big fan of Parler and all of the crazy things that were being said on that social media platform. Right when Apple worked with a bunch of other companies to murder it overnight, pretty much, and it's never recovered as a result of that. After a tremendous amount of growth, what a scum! I mean, Jim is well, right. Well, Horrible and, human being. And, and, praise, and praising China for you know like the the free Horrible. market reforms uh, of the late uh, '90s that I had mentioned there. That's just them getting out of the way. Like I, I hate that idea that they should be like praised so much for that. They just got out of the way. It's the same thing as like Joe Biden taking credit for all of the jobs that have returned when they he allowed people to go back to work. Get out of here with that. Yeah. I yeah. And that's not I, even I to think... mention all the climate change stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. doing so much when it comes to climate change. No, yeah. they're not. They're just no, they're saying not. that they will in the future, and they haven't done anything to actually yeah. progress any type of actual substantive moves when it comes to climate change. T t Every Everything in that clip was an absolute joke. Go joke. Ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I looked this up because I knew we'd be playing that clip. Uh, the number of coal plants operating in the world today, China, 1,110. India is in second place, way back in second place with only 285, and the United States has 240. China, for the last several years, has been building a new coal-fired power plant every week for years and years. They right. actually represent about 50% of the entire coal production uh, energy in the entire globe. And Tim Cook is sitting there saying they're just doing the right things and we should admire them and applaud them for doing what they want to do to save the planet. And that aligns with my values. Go to hell, Tim Cook, because not only are you disgusting in the way you're exploiting uh, Chinese labor uh, to, to get filthy, stinking rich, but uh, they're actually not doing any of the things you said. You're lying about it. 
You're not a moron. You can look this up. Look it up. They're not doing anything to help oh, the environment. He if you care about coal plants, of course he knows. Well, he also knows. China is care about that. Not only are they uh, integral in actually creating uh, a lot of the products that are sold by that company, but now they're increasingly purchasing the products. I just read somewhere, and you know, fact check me on this if you want, because I literally just saw it like this morning. So I don't know, could be, it could have been misread or something. But it said something that like a fourth of the company's value is like directly tied to China. So for him mm-hmm. to go up there and like virtue signal and say like, oh, you know, this might be unpopular, but I love China or whatever he's saying. Like he's not doing that for any moral reasons or anything like that. He's doing that to, to save the bottom line of his company. That's all that's about. And it's an absolute joke when uh, that means that you're having to apologize for, uh, uh, you know, like I, like we've mentioned, the literal slave labor that's going on in the country. Can't stand it. Can't stand it. Chris, you've been silent. You have uh, two cents to throw in here. Oh, he is muted. Rookie mistake. Go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. Yep. Uh, China's got 1.3 uh, billion people, and uh, companies such as Apple and the NBA and, you know, all uh, Coca-Cola, you know. Hollywood. On, uh, Hollywood, yeah. You know, Disney, you know, on and on and on. They want to have access to that market, but having access to that market means that you must play by the rules that the Chinese Communist Party sets. And that is a for me, that would be a no go. I I would much rather have Apple say, you know what, we're going to decouple. We are going to bring manufacturing back home. We're going to produce iPhones in the United States. Yes, you know, might hurt our bottom line a little bit, but Apple is the. Uh, is the highest valued company in the entire world. So I think that they could do something. But this tells me that Apple is not a pro-America company. Yeah, they might be located in America. They, you know, they might have their headquarters here, but their real interests are not here. And I think that that is a major problem that's been happening for many, many years. And I think that that's something that we need to really just, you know, finally like get to the bottom of and have a, a you know, dialogue here in America. Do we want uh, these multinational corporations to be beholden to the Chinese Communist Party, or do we want them to uh, to you know use our values and spread them around the world, just like we did, you know, with the Soviet Union? One of the things that people said was rock and roll, you know, killed the Soviet Union because the Soviet Union didn't allow their people to have you know blue jeans or rock and roll or Coca Cola. And once that they realized, once the people in those countries realized that those things were available, what did they want? They wanted them. But in 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 uh, in America right now, we are playing both sides. We're allowing China to have access to all those goods, and we're using them to produce them. But oh, we're man. also not we're also not saying okay, that comes with you know uh, you know certain parameters that you must stand by. So I wow yeah, to me that's, it's, just, that's... it's just complete greed. Yeah, that that's a very interesting point. It's like if these companies, uh, you know, NBA or the uh, or Apple or something like, actually grew a backbone and put up yeah. some resistance to it, and we had like a very similar thing, and then in the future we could be like Apple and NBA, you know, took down the Communist Party of China. Like, wouldn't that be an amazing thing? But unfortunately, we are very, very far from that. Jim, well, is it worth playing that second clip of Tim Cook? Now, nah, I mean, we're almost out of time. Let's skip it. I think. But here's a point. I, I wanted to go back to the subtitle of this podcast is uh, how the elites are providing cover for these uh, brutal lock uh, crackdowns in China and for the Chinese regime. And uh, uh, Klaus Schwab had said, uh, well, I mean, basically, if uh, if Klaus Schwab had his way, China would be the model system for the entire world. And the only thing getting in his way are the fact that people want freedom. Uh, and that's always getting in his damn way, and he doesn't like it. But he says that, uh, quote, we should leave it to each country to make its own decision about what system to have, and we should be careful about imposing systems on others. And and there's two things about that comment. Uh, one, he's being very careful not to criticize China. He's basically telling them, your system is great. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a system in which you oppress your people, uh, and you can control them like no regime really maybe in history has ever controlled their people. He's got a lot of admiration for that. Because that's what he needs, uh, and that's what the World Economic Forum actually wants, so that they can get their Great Reset to be implemented. Because that's only, the people don't want it. The only way you get the Great Reset is if you can control the people. Um, but but then he's also careful um, about, again, the part, the second part about not imposing systems, right? In other words, we are not going to pressure China to open up and be more free. Because that would be imposing a system of freedom upon China, and we shouldn't do that. So, mm-hmm. you know, they are giving cover to these to these guys. They've been doing it for decades. LeBron James and the NBA has been doing it for, for decades. They care more about the money than they care about freedom. 
And, you know, you should think about that if you care about freedom and then decisions you make as a consumer in the United States, because that's the only power we have because they're just so beholden to the money. Tony, yeah. I have one very, very, very important to make. I see in the in the comment section that uh, Daniel Wharton says, Chris should have hidden his Apple box in the background. Just want everyone to know this is not my office. This is Donnie's <laughs> office. I do not own, have never owned one Apple product. I have a Samsung phone. I have a Sony TV. I have never, ever spent one penny on an Apple product, and I never will. No <laughs> Apple iTunes, no iPods, nothing, no iPads. I am anti-Apple. And that Apple box belongs yeah, for, to Donnie Kendall, yeah, his for full, office. For full disclosure, Chris is doing the podcast from my office on my Apple computer. And I am doing the podcast from home on my Apple computer. So yeah, I am anti-Apple. But <laughs> if anything, that should show you that even though uh, I'm consuming these products and still being very critical of the uh, the people that I buy these products for, it shows that I'm not bought and paid for. So I think that that's, uh, you know, totally fine. Yeah, cr cry some more, Chris. Off to the gulag, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we are already over an hour here, so we're going to sign it off unless anyone wants to interrupt with something that's very important to say hearing nothing i will thank everyone for joining us for this episode of the in the tank podcast join us every week for a new episode for those audio only listeners that are catching this show on a friday or later you can join us on thursday live at noon central time where we are streaming on facebook and twitter and youtube and rumble you can join the conversation put up your comments and and uh questions maybe we'll show your comments on the screen maybe we will answer your questions on the fly you could also help us out by just doing a couple of little things hitting that subscribe button, hitting that share button, hitting that like button, or leaving a comment underneath this video, all things that help break through that big tech algorithm that prevents content like this from being shown to more people. You could also follow us on Twitter at InTheTankPod. And if you have any comments or suggestions for the show, feel free to email us at InTheTankPodcast at gmail.com. Jim Lakely, where can the fine people find you? At Jay Lakely on Twitter, at HeartlandInst on Twitter, and always go to heartland.org. And Justin, same question. At Justin T. Haskins on Facebook, Twitter, Parlor, and everything else. Chris Talgo, what do you have to pitch today? Stoppingsocialism.com. Go there and you can read the full uh, Socialist 2022 report. It's very interesting and I highly recommend it. Fantastic. Thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you next week.